Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Today, we're going to be talking about a really important sustainability topic, especially when it comes to uh, children, their health, anybody who cares about that. And there's a whole lot of us who do. We're going to be talking about uh, some big developments in the California governor's budget for school nutrition and some big increases that he made um, in his proposed budget and what that could mean for a huge number of actually millions of California school children and maybe if we set the example in the the golden state this could be something that could benefit children across the U.S. Our guest today is Adam Kesselman and he's the executive director for the Center for Eco-Literacy. I'm a big fan of their organization and I'm so excited to have Adam on. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Adam we are so glad to have you on the show. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. You bet. Well, before we start talking about some of these issues related to the governor's budget for school nutrition, I'd really like to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the Center for Eco-Literacy. Some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with your organization. So talk to us a little bit about the history and the mission of the Center for Eco-Literacy. Sure. Um, so the Center for Eco-Literacy was founded in 1995 in Berkeley, California. So this is our 25th anniversary, which is pretty exciting. Um, and it was founded with a dedication to cultivate education for sustainable living in K-12 schools. Um, so the vision was really, how could we support a world where all students experience and understand how nature sustains life and are inspired to live in ways that benefit people in the environment. Um, so, you know, in today's world, that seems like uh, a very critical mission. Um, and, you know, we, we have uh, worked globally. We're a, a publisher. Uh, we are educators. We are systems thinkers. Um, and most importantly, uh, we try to take uh, a systems view of life and uh, a positive view and to be for things and not against things. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and actually, Dr. Carolee Sly is a good friend of mine, and I know that she's been a part oh, of the great. center. Yeah, she's. Uh, I actually worked really, really closely with her when I started my nonprofit organization in 2002, the Go Green Initiative, and she and I have remained good friends, uh, you know, throughout that time. But let's get into the issue that we're going to be talking about, and that is, you know, some of these budget issues in the California uh, uh governor's budget, his proposed budget. And I know that you were working with some key partners because none of this happens with just, you know, a couple of players. There are always uh, collaborative efforts involved in a big move like this. So who are some of the key partners that the Center for Eco-Literacy has been working with to convince California's governor, Governor Newsom, to include some more funding for school nutrition in his proposed budget this year? Well, there are so many partners in the farm to school community. Um, so I'll call out a few and I guess I'll acknowledge that um, the school districts that we work with in California are um, really important partners for us. And we try to uh, elevate 
their voice and um, and understand you know the the complex challenges they're grappling with. Um, I think the first partner, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, um, she uh, has toured California, visited school sites to understand um, where farm to school is and and how the state could be helpful in uh, supporting an expansion, um, both financially and uh, otherwise. So uh, we've worked with uh, the first partner's office, um, the office of Karen Ross, uh, the secretary of agriculture um, for California. Uh, Early on, she convened a number of stakeholders um, in Sacramento to understand how all these groups were approaching the problem and to really understand how she could step in and be uh, uh, most helpful. Um, of course, we worked with uh, the office of Kat Taylor, um, mm-hmm. and her team have really been fantastic um, to to sort of drive this process forward. Um, you know, it's a lot of listening, it's a lot of meetings, um, and trying to uh, provide a, a a smart, vital, and hopeful solution that that. Um, makes sense in in the governor's budget. Um, we worked with the California School Employee Association, so mm-hmm. they represent over two hundred and fifty thousand school support staff um, in California. Um, and we can talk more about that in a uh, in a minute when we talk about some of the uh, the, the funding areas. Absolutely. Um, and then there's a whole network. There's a whole network of partners as well. Um, so you know the California Food and Farming Network. Um, advocacy organizations like NRDC, uh, the National Resource Defense Council, and Friends of the Earth, uh, Edible Schoolyard, and Conscious Kitchen, to name a few. That's awesome. Let's dive into some of the particulars of the governor's proposed budget, beginning with the $60 million for school meal reimbursements. Help us understand the significance of that line item in his budget. Um, So, it's, I mean, it's fabulous. Um, $60 $60 million is a lot of money. Um, and the $60 million that is allocated is uh, Prop 98 funding. So the state um, provides reimbursement dollars to school districts participating in the National School Lunch Program. Um, it's currently around $0.24. Cents. So it's a, a small match to a larger number from the um, the federal government, but it's a very important budget line item. And this $60 million is a 40% increase over oh, uh, wow. current uh, California reimbursement. Um, and it's proposed as ongoing funding. So this would be additional funding ongoing to support school districts. Wow, a 40% increase. That's huge. That's the piece I didn't understand, you know, when I was looking at this is, you know, how does that number relate to previous years? So that's, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Now, Governor Newsom has also proposed one-time funding of $10 million for culinary training uh, for school food service staff and others that are involved with this. How will that training impact California school kids? Because that's the bottom line. Uh, that's, a, that's a good chunk of money. Sounds like a good idea. But what is the benefit to the kids? If you want to serve fresh food to students, somebody's got to make the food. And, uh, you know, staff training is very critical for school districts to transition uh, from heat and serve models to models where they're working with fresh fruits and vegetables, um, fresh proteins like chicken or beef, 
to really understand how to work with those food items um, safely um, and to, to make food that's appealing to students, um, that they're excited to eat. So uh, you can't just fund procurement and say, we're going we're gonna, to you know, facilitate more fresh fruits and vegetables from California um, getting to the kitchen. The question is, what are you going to do once that food gets to the kitchen? So this was a really critical piece, I think, and an acknowledgement uh, by the governor that uh, staff training is, is critical. Uh, it's a critical component to um, ensuring that the food kids eat um, is of, of a quality that they expect. Mm-hmm. That's that's really really cool. And it, it, is this something that um, you know when you mentioned earlier that one of your partners was you know the big labor union CSEA that's involved mm-hmm. um, in helping you? Was that one of their requests? Yeah, they were really supportive of uh, this approach and and this inclusion in the budget. Um, you know, they would like to see more of their staff recognize the chefs and they recognize that um, it's important that students uh, are served more uh, freshly prepared food and they're supportive of that effort. Um, and staff training is, is one of those things that, um, you know, it, it, it is expensive for districts because you have to pay staff time outside of uh, the hours where they're serving meals. So it's sort of additional staff time. Um, and we've actually done some work with CSCA in the past um, to provide professional development for uh, their members. Got it. Okay. I think that's terrific. There was one other line item that I wanted to talk about, and that is the governor's proposal for a one-time funding of $8.5 million for farm-to-school grants. And not everybody knows what a farm-to-school grant program might entail. Talk to us about those type of grant programs and why that's so important. Uh, Farm to school grant programs are important because that's where innovation happens. Um, This is funding that can encourage school districts to try new things, um, to develop innovative strategies, to uh, create connections between the cafeteria, the classroom, and the garden. to, uh, you know, try uh, to procure foods closer to home. Um, Maybe they want to try procuring organic food. Um, Maybe they want to offer more taste tests in the classroom um, or the cafeteria um, or provide uh, staff training. So, um, actually, I can read to you one of the the sentences in the budget um, about the grant program. Do it. Um, it seeks to establish programs that coordinate local and California-grown food procurement and utilization in school meals, as well as food and agriculture education in classrooms and cafeterias through experiential learning opportunities in school gardens, on farms, and other uh, culinary and agricultural pathways. Um, so that's, a re- that's an acknowledgement of uh, the, the connection between education and the food that students are eating. Um, additionally, the funds are uh, meant to support a farm-to-school working group to advance the implementation of this grant program. 
Ah, okay. Yeah, that's smart. Um, That way we know that it's money well spent and they can evaluate um, the grant proposals in a way that ensures maximum impact. That's really smart. Well, Adam, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about. I mean, when we're talking about the school nutrition and, and what our children are eating at school, it makes such a difference in their ability to learn and their ability to to have a successful learning environment. So this is a really important topic, and I'm so glad that we have Adam with us. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Adam Castleman, and he is the executive director of an organization I really respect and enjoy. Um, it's called the Center for Eco Literacy, and you can find them at ecoliteracy.org. And our topic today is um, some of the big moves that Governor Newsom, the governor of California, has made in his proposed budget um, around 
around school nutrition issues. And we're talking about the particulars of that today with Adam. Um, his organization, Center for Eco-Literacy, worked with a, a collaborative of many partners and uh, to work with the governor to increase funding for good healthy school nutrition and all the things that it takes to bring that to our schools and to our children. Um, Adam, Governor Newsom proposed in his budget a ongoing $1.5 million line item to support the Department of Food and Agriculture's Office of Farm to Fork, and that's a first for California. Talk to us about how the $1.5 million in this program will work and what it, what's going to happen with that money, and most importantly, how will that benefit California students? Yeah, so um, the the first that you said that that's a first, and um uh, it's a first that the Office of Farm to Fork, which does currently exist, is being funded uh, with ongoing funding from the state government. So in the past, they've relied on grants um, and getting funding uh, from sort of these soft money um, areas, and, uh, it, and it's difficult. Um, so we'd like to see the Office of Farm to Fork um, expand, have more people um, to support the school districts to uh, carry out uh, farm-to-school activities throughout the state. So um, this was a really important, you know, albeit a small amount of money relatively, $1.5 million um, ongoing will allow that office to staff up and respond to the opportunity and the needs uh, of California's school districts um, to advance farm-to-school Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit more about what the Office of Farm to Fork does, because not everybody knows. A lot of our listeners don't even live in California, and even those that do may not have heard of the Office of Farm to Fork. So give us a little insight as to what they do on a day-to-day. Um, well, uh, the caveat is I'm not an expert on what they do day-to-day, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, our experience with them, they're housed in the Department of Food and Ag, um, and they really represent uh, at the state level a support system for uh, school districts um, who are trying to serve more fresh food and who are trying to uh, make connections between uh, cafeteria, classroom, and garden. Um, one of the things that the Office of Farm to Fork does is put on a California um, Farm to School Network conference every two years, and they bring together uh, leaders in food service and um, education, uh, garden educators, um, and uh, it's a two and a, so this year it's going to be in March in San Diego. Uh, it's two and a half days, I believe, and you know this kind of convening is one of the most effective and important things that you can do um, to uh, bring these thought leaders together and to pollinate ideas uh, about best practices and, and get inspired. Um, Nick Anisich is leading the uh, uh, farm to school work in the office of farm to fork. And he's done a really terrific job this year um, as the connector and letting the farm to school community know in California all of the activities that are happening that, um, you know, are advancing the field of farm to fork. That's great. Um, you know, I know that 
not everybody understands the budget process. It's complicated in every state. California is no exception. But when the governor puts forward um, his budget, uh, that's not signed in stone. That's not, you know, a done deal. How could our listeners, uh, you know, those that live in California, get involved and show support for the governor's proposed investment in school nutrition? Yeah, it's definitely not a done deal, unfortunately. Um, So, you know, it was a great first step that we uh, secured this line item in his budget. And it was, you know, I think just such an important um, acknowledgement of the importance of school nutrition. Um, you know, students in California get up to 35% of their calories in school, and um, we need to increase the, the quality um, and the access to these school meals. So, um, you know, the governor's budget will be, um, he'll, he'll sign his budget in uh, July. Uh, so we have between now and July to um, build support for this line item because, um, you know, there's only a finite amount of money and other uh, causes and groups are going to be fighting for, for those dollars. Um, so, you know, I think write your uh, state assembly member or uh, senator um, about the importance of school meals and that you'd like to see uh, the state allocate these funds to uh, help support and improve school meals in California. Um, I think, you know, one thing that people uh, sometimes do is they demonize school food. Um, and I think that that's not productive. Um, so I think understanding uh, where school districts are starting from um, and taking a, a more sort of positive approach to how you can be helpful and um, and supportive of school food programs um, and therefore be a more effective advocate for um, how systems change in that area happens. Um, so, you know, that might look like showing support to your uh, local food service director or um, to your, uh, you know, school superintendent or the school board. Um, so I just think, you know, holding that positive torch and, and um, reinforcing the importance of school mm-hmm. food and, um, you know, acknowledging the impact that can have uh, on our state. Got it. Well, I'd love to talk to you about the Center for Eco-Literacy because um, aside from the importance of supporting you know, increased funding for school nutrition programs. Your organization does an awful lot, and you have some amazing resources that our listeners can take advantage of uh, no matter where they live and no matter, you know, what their, um, you know, budgetary situation is. So I'd like for you to talk to our listeners about one of the programs through the Center for Eco-Literacy, and it's called California Food for California Kids. It's really cool, and there's a lot to it. So take some time. And talk us through that program. Yeah, there is a lot to it. Um, so California Food for California Kids is an initiative of the Center for Eco-Literacy to uh, improve the health and quality of school meals in California. So uh, it's a collaboration with 89 public school districts that currently those 89 serve uh, around 330 million meals a year. So that's roughly one-third of the 
one billion school meals served in California every year. And uh, we provide a system of support, resources, um, and this, this, uh, this group of school districts that are dedicated to uh, serving freshly prepared school meals made with California-grown food. So um, the initiative started uh, in 2010, and, um, you know, the center has been working on school food issues uh, almost since our inception. Um, and we wanted to take the system's view, how could we support school districts um, advancing uh, the quality of fresh food? Um, and California Food for California Kids uh, has grown over the past uh gosh, 10 years now, um, we developed a program called California Thursdays uh, at Oakland Unified School District in 2013. And uh, the idea there was uh, to understand how, what was one small step we could take to facilitate the district making broader and cascading changes in their program. So we said, well, okay, uh, with the district, you know, can you serve a freshly prepared meal, one meal, one, one time, uh, when, you know, when does that most effectively, when can you make that happen? And for them, it was Thursdays because the production cycle um, sort of dictates a lot of what happens in these um, large school districts. So that was when they could uh, procure their food, prepare it, and get it out to all their districts. Um, so we said, okay, if you start with just one time, you start to address the complexity of school food. You, you're addressing procurement. You're addressing uh, menu development, staff training, marketing, um, you know, communicating with the district about the changes you're making. So that became the model for what has grown to be um, uh, this large program in the, in the state, and it's been modeled um, in other states as well. Um, there's a New York Thursdays program, there's a Minnesota's Thurs Minnesota Thursdays and a Nebraska Thursday, Thursday program that we know about. Um, so, you know, we convene, I think we can get into uh, a little bit more details about, um, you know, what it, what it means to be part of this network. Yeah. Um, how does that happen? So um, we're currently actually reimagining you know, we're at 89 school districts. How can we uh, build the momentum and make um, the resources to school districts more accessible? So in the past, we, we started with one district, and then we expanded to 15, uh, and then uh, 30, 50, 70, 89. Year after year, we kept growing the program. And every time we expanded... Um, we offered an orientation for school districts to come together um, to uh, receive resources um, and training. So we provided training on um, uh, knife skills and resources um, to support that uh, mm -hmm. marketing. So a big part of the program was that uh, we recognized that school food programs weren't supported by the kind of marketing that 
students were used to seeing outside of school. You know, oh. really high quality um, and beautiful, enticing images to right. support, um, you know, this idea that fresh food is being served here. And yeah, that makes such a difference. You. The look of it, the presentation does make such a difference. So we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we've got a lot more to talk about with you, Adam. So to all of our listeners, hang in with us. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Our guest today, in case you're just joining us, is Adam Kesselman, and he's the executive director for the Center for Ecoliteracy. You can check them out at ecoliteracy.org. And just before the break, we were talking with Adam about some of the support that they offer to schools that have joined their network. And Adam, I wanted to give you a chance to finish what you were discussing before we needed to go to break. Thanks, Jill. Um, yeah, just to bookend um, the California Food for California Kids uh, initiative, um, I think, you know, the big takeaways are that, you know, we've created this community of school districts and educators that are committed to uh, increasing the quality of uh, school food um, and connecting um, the cafeteria, the classroom, and the garden, so really integrating education. And, um, you know, we... 
we connect school districts and educators. We provide lots of training opportunities um, and free resources from, uh, you know, training resources like knife skills and recipes to um, uh, education resources. Um, we can we can chat about those a little later. That is so great. And, and your website is just... Uh, I hate to to be too punny this morning, but um, it's just chock full of information snacking opportunities. I mean, I could get lost in all of the great resources that you have on your website. And I want to talk about one of the sections that our listeners will find if they go to ecoliteracy.org. You have a section called Ecological Education, and there's so many lessons and articles and all kinds of great things to advance ecological teaching and learning. And I'd love for you to take time to talk about maybe three or four of the resources that our listeners might find by clicking on the ecological education uh, tab of your website. Yeah, so um, our, our website's interesting. Uh, you can sometimes access uh, some of the resources through different sections as well. So it's always fun to go down the rabbit hole in our website because, as you said, there's, there's just tons of resources um, essays, interviews, and, you know, really it's painting a picture of uh, education for sustainable living. Um, So, you know, the resources talk about systems and networks, patterns and flows and connectedness. I think that, you know, that's one of the the key uh, elements of education for sustainable living is understanding the connections and the systems and the patterns and cultivating a systems view of life. Um, you know, I was looking through the website and um, sort of thinking about uh, what to talk about here today. And, um, you know, I was, I was uh, drawn to a short essay, um, Solving for Pattern. Um, when nature is our teacher, we can see that long-lasting change requires looking beyond individual problems to address the patterns that connect them. And, you know, in today's world, I think this systems view of life and not looking at the world through uh, the problem lens, individual problems and how are we going to solve that, um, that mechanistic approach, you know, how can we solve for pattern? How can we identify patterns and, um, and, and teach ourselves how to take this um, view of life. So, you know, that's, that's an inspirational and very accessible essay um, yeah. to, to start wrapping your head around systems thinking. Um, another uh, resource is uh, an app that we created uh, with the whole Kids Foundation um, called Starting with Soil. And it's for uh, seven to nine-year-olds um, and it's this visually rich way to, um, for, for, you know, young kids to uh, start to understand that soil is a living system um, and it's filled with fascinating relationships. Um, there's a lot of talk about soil health these days um, and the possibility for uh, sequestering carbon through building mm-hmm. soil health. Um, it's something personally I'm doing in my backyard, actually. Um, I've got, uh, cover crops planted and I'm trying to, uh, you know, build the soil health. So, um, that's a fun, that's a fun resource. Uh, 
Um, and another uh, essay I think that is interesting is um, uh, an excerpt from a, a book written by one of our co-founders, Fritjof Capra. Uh, it's called A Systems View of Life, A Unifying Vision. And um, it integrates uh, ideas, models, and theories underlying the systems view of life into a single coherent framework. So, you know, how do you wrap your, your mind around the complexity of systems thinking? Um, so, you know, shifting from an economic system based on uh, this notion of unlimited growth to one that is ecologically sustainable and socially just. Um, so that's a taste of what you could find in that section. Cool stuff. And you've also got a section that's entitled Food and Sustainability, and it has tools and articles for actually redesigning school meal programs and helping students learn about food's place in our lives. And I I think that's a really cool section, too. Talk to us about some of the items that are listed there. Yeah, so um, one of them we we really use all the time and reference all the time is called um, the Rethinking School Lunch Guide. Mm-hmm. And it uh, looks at school food through a, a framework of 10 dimensions. Mm-hmm. And an example of those uh, are procurement, professional development, um, marketing, food and health, so cooking, waste management, finances. And um, so this guide was created uh, to help uh, school food advocates, and, you know, we've talked with parents that have used this to understand the complexity of school food um, to guide how they might uh, help support the school district in making changes. Mm. Um, school food service directors uh, use this to understand that network of relationships. Um, so there's lots of great resources um, in that guide and, and tools to help understand um, best practices for um, advancing, you know, fresh food in, in the school food program. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I really like called uh, it's called Savoring California, a comparative taste test guide, mm-hmm. and we, we use this resource a lot as well. Um, I was talking to a food service director recently, and she, we were talking about students using different language to talk about food rather than either I like it, it's good, or that's nasty. (laughs) Um, So, you know, uh, there's a a framework and a tasting guide that includes adjectives to talk about food that get at the complexity of the experience, uh, both visually um, and, well, I should say just sensory. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what does the food look like? What does it smell like? Uh, What does it taste like? Is it sweet, tart, salty? Um, does it smell like an orange or what does it smell like? Uh, so that's a great resource. Um, and there's a number of resources uh, germane to food service professionals, mm-hmm. um, you know, interviews, um, sort of overview of best practices for engaging students or, you know, how do I run an efficient cafeteria? Like, you know, what are ways that I can uh, engage students um, and also get them through the line quickly so that they have time to eat? Mm-hmm. So lots of stuff in that section. I think that a lot of people, when they 
you know, if they're parents or even uh, people who are new to the food service profession in school districts are often overwhelmed by all of the outside variables that impact what ultimately ends up being served to children. And that's where the section that you have on your website called systems change, I think is so interesting. And I'd love for you to talk to us about some of the things that our listeners will find when they visit ecoliteracy.org and click on systems change. Yeah, well, you said it, it is, uh, school food is complex. And I think, um, Systems in general, when you really dive into understanding uh, the different facets of systems, um, it, it reveals a relationship um, of many dependent variables. Um, one resource on there is sort of an extension of the Rethinking School Lunch Guide I was uh, sharing about mm-hmm. earlier. Um, and it's a specific, it's a, a report on an Oakland, um, Oakland Unified School District feasibility study. And this resource has been referenced by uh, many school districts uh, nationally to um, be a model for how they might assess uh, the feasibility of improving their school food. So how do you go about looking at a school food program, um, you know, and making, making the case uh, both um, operationally and financially for uh, improving the school food. So um, we uh, created this feasibility study uh, back in 2010 that was in- incorporated into the facilities master plan at Oakland Unified School District and ultimately, you know, in- influenced um, a central kitchen uh, instructional farm and education center that is a bond-funded project um, mm-hmm. that received 84% of the vote in Oakland um, through Measure J, which is unprecedented. Um, it you know, really shows that people, voters, uh, they support healthy school meals. So that's something to think about, uh, you know, back to the governor's budget. Um, the public wants improved school food. So um, that Central Kitchen uh, Instructional Farm and Education Center is slated to be completed uh, either the end of this month or next month. So we're really excited about that. Um, mm-hmm. Another uh, essay that I, I refer to all the time is called Seven Lessons for Systems Change Leaders. And um, there, it's got these seven lessons that are a great reminder about uh, working in, in systems change, which is mm-hmm. complex. Um, is. So I, I just pulled out two, two of the uh, lessons. One is to promote systems change, foster community, and cultivate networks. Yep. Um, so that's what we try to do in our work in, in school food systems change. You know, we're building networks and cultivating communication. Um, but you can do that at a much smaller level as well. Yeah, um, you absolutely and can. That- and 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 I I definitely want to finish that thought. We're going to take a just a really quick commercial break. Um, but when we're talking about systems change, you know, we really need to do that justice. So don't go away, folks. We've got so much more with Adam Kesselman. So we'll be right back after this quick commercial. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Before we went to break last time, Adam Kesselman, the um, Executive Director for Center for Ecoliteracy, you can find them at ecoliteracy.org, was talking about an important tool that they have um, on the Systems Change tab of their website. And Adam, I want to go ahead and give you a chance to finish your thought. Thanks, Jill. Um, I was just going to highlight one other lesson of systems change, which is working at multiple levels of scale. Um, So that's working at the school level or your community level, and it could look like working at the state level. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it's different. I mean, there are similarities, but there are differences in working at those various levels of systems. And the guidance that you all give is just top notch. You know, over the years, the Center for Ecoliteracy has published at least four books that I know of, and each are very important in the green schools movement. And I know that a lot of people from sea to shining sea know about these books, but some of our listeners might not if they're new to the green schools movement. I'd love for you to give our readers kind of a brief overview of the subject matter of each of those publications. Sure. Yeah, um, I've been the executive director at the center uh, for just one year, and I took over from one of the co-founders and the executive director for 24 years, Zenobia Barlow. Um, And it's amazing. I meet people all the time who reference these books and say how these books shaped uh, how they approached their career or, um, you know, provided a new pathway for them. So, um, you know, there's a rich history of publishing from the Center for Eco-Literacy. Um, so one of them is ecological literacy, educating our children for a sustainable world. Um, I refer to this all the time. It's got a compilation of essays from really uh, important thinkers, uh, Fritjof Capra, David Orr, Wendell Berry, um, and it really provides a multifaceted uh, view of, of defining what eco-literacy is. Um, another book uh, that has impacted the green schools movement is Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability, um, and it really reflects the green school movement. So it showcases inspiring sustainability 
um, education stories of schools across the country. Um, a third publication is Big Ideas, Linking Food, Culture, Health, and the Environment. And this is a framework for educating about food and food production. Um, we talk a lot in our work about the connection between food, culture, health, and the environment. Um, so you know, those, are, those are big ideas to us. And those books are, are all something that you can find on your website, and I want to make sure that our, our listeners know that. Um, and again, that's ecoliteracy.org. You know, as you mentioned before, Adam, the Center for Ecoliteracy was founded 25 years ago. Big birthday for you guys. In what ways do you and your staff feel like your organization has impacted the world for, for the better in that quarter century of existence? Yeah, great question. Um, it, it, I sort of alluded to it earlier about, um, you know, hearing from educators and systems change leaders uh, how the, the resources the center has produced over the years have impacted their work. Um, I think the center has really held this smart, vital, and hopeful place for education for sustainable living. Um, it sort of held the torch for systems thinking and education. Um, over the years, the center has convened uh, thought leaders, educators um, to listen um, and learn and, and then respond to the changing conditions of the world and of education. Um, our publishing imprint is learning in the real world. I, I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the center really represents the connection between uh, us and nature. Um, in fact, you know, our guiding principles allude to nature being our teacher um, and the real world being the optimal learning environment. Um, and I'll just add that the center has uh, funded um, visionary projects like the Edible Schoolyard, um, the STRAW Project, which stands for Students and Teachers Restoring a Watershed. Um, and they've restored uh, countless acres of land in California. Um, it's really amazing. And we started the California Food for California Kids Initiative, which mm-hmm. I think is um, it's a, a positive uh, model for food systems change in school districts across the country. I love it. Do you guys have uh, some big plans for 2020? I'd love to let our listeners find out what you've got planned for this year and get excited to keep an eye on your website and what they can look forward to from the Center for Eco-Literacy this year. Yeah, it's a big year. Um, You know, this policy work, um, we really are committed to uh, supporting that and ensuring that uh, school meals are well-funded in California and and get this increased funding. So we'll be working on that and really tapping into our network to build support and to communicate that to uh, legislators. Um, You know, we want to build our network. I talked earlier about um, expanding uh, our our membership for the initiative, um, developing new resources. Um, uh, We are going to be running a culinary academy um, in the state, we have seven uh, culinary trainings scheduled, 
at uh, energy innovation kitchens. So these energy companies have these really fabulous kitchens and um, we can lead trainings for food service staff in these kitchens. Um, And we're doing that with support from the California Department of Food and Agriculture. Um, We're creating new lessons uh, for our Abundant California series. Um, And uh, we're engaging with the farm to school community. educators, food service folks, and we're, we're listening. Um, we're always creating new resources to help uh, these stakeholders advance their work um, and connect to other leaders in the space. So I, I think generally, you know, we're, we're building on the momentum that we have and trying to keep responding to the changing conditions and offering these, these uh, positive and helpful solutions for folks. I love it. You know, I remember back during the drought, 2012 to 2016, um, when I, I had shows about the impact that the California drought had on the rest of the nation and the fresh produce, um, How what a huge percentage of the fresh produce California produces. And I just think it's great if, if our own students are able to, you know, get the, the maximum benefit of all of that wonderful stuff produce that we grow in the state it's still our biggest industry agriculture is still our biggest industry and so i love the way that you're taking a systems approach to getting all of that delicious food um, and healthy nutritious food to california school children they should they should benefit from what we grow um no question they should Yep. (laughs) In the final moments that we have left in the show, Adam, what are the top two or three things that our listeners could do this month to help improve food systems and nutrition for our nation's children? Um, Okay, well, uh, let's start with send a letter to your state senator or assembly person encouraging them to support the healthy school food budget allocation in the governor's budget. All right. Um, Yeah. Love to see that level of support. Um, Seek to understand where your food comes from, how it was produced, and ask questions of a systemic nature, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how does it all fit together, and how do your choices impact the bigger system? Absolutely. Uh, And third, um, provide opportunities to your children if you have them or uh, if you know them. Uh, Cultivate curiosity. about the connections in the natural world, um, you know, food is a great uh, window into uh, looking at those connections. Uh, it's something that perfect. we all are connected to every day. It's so true. Thank you, Adam. And thank you to the Center for Eco-Literacy for all the great work that you do. So glad that you joined us today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.